Welcome everybody that is watching us online right now. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. I know some of you cannot, uh, for health reasons or other reasons, cannot uh, get out of your house today. And I am believing that God is going to do something supernatural even through the screen today. Amen. We are in a series called Victory, and we're actually on part three today. We're going to continue this, this series over the next several weeks or possible months. You just never know how long these series go. But I believe that it is a timely word, that uh, our world needs uh, the, the message of victory more than ever. And this day that we are celebrating, Resurrection Sunday, is the event. As a follower of Jesus, this is the event that separates us from all other religions all over the world. That we believe that our God had the audacity to put flesh and blood on. Come as a baby. Walk among us for 33 years. Then give up his life because nobody could take his life. To give up his life and die a criminal's death even though he was perfect. But he just didn't die on that cross over 2,000 years ago. Now the tomb is empty. Three days later he conquered the grave. This day is the day that separates us from all other religions. That we believe that our God conquered death. So part three today, victory. The title of my message is the new dawn of victory. Come on church, we are in a new dawn of victory. And we've been talking about uh, the Greek word tashua, which means victory, which means uh, salvation and deliverer, right? Tashua. And we have gone through the people, the Jews were expecting Tashua to come, right? They were expecting a victory to come. And then when the triumphant entry happened, right? The triumphant entry, they were saying, Tashua is here. Victory is here. Now we're entering into a new dawn of victory. I just want to warn you this morning for a Easter message. This is a deep message, okay? So put... Put your spiritual belt on, buckle up, buttercup, because it's coming, okay? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. Jesus, this is your moment. This is your moment because you made this moment happen. This is your church. These are your people. It is not by mistake who is in this room today and watching online. Lord, you've got a word for your people today. And so, God, I pray in Jesus' name that it would fall on fertile soil, that it would take deep root in everyone's hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, we come against the enemy. We come against the father of lies, and we tell him to be quiet. We tell him to shut up and get out of our hearts and our minds and our lives right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray you protect these next 30 minutes. These are your 30 minutes, God. Have your way. Jesus, get me out of the way. None of me and all of you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen Amen and amen. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go through, uh, we're going to go through the crucifixion, okay? We're going to go through the resurrection. And then I I got a word that I feel like the Lord wants you uh, to hear this morning, okay? 
So where, let me give you some context where we're going to start today. Uh, so Jesus has been beaten. Uh, he, he's been uh, tortured. Uh, he's gone through all uh, of that pain and agony. And now he is hanging on the cross. So they've nailed him to the cross. And he is now at the end of his life. He, he is feeling that he is about to, to die. Okay? So he... He is suffocating at this moment, but he is also bleeding to death at the same time. Okay, so let's look in John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a, they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. What is finished? The power of sin is finished. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he became sin. He is taking all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, upon himself in this moment. And he yells out, it is finished. Listen to me, church. In that moment, the war was won. The war has already won in our lives, but we don't get to opt out of the battle, right? The battle still belongs to the Lord, but we need to invite him into that battle. Whatever you're going through today, big, small, medium, large, whatever you're going through today, Jesus wants to be invited into that battle. We still have to go through battles in our daily lives, weekly lives, monthly lives, but the battle belongs to the Lord. The war has already been won because Jesus said, it is is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Galatians, the apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, what was happening in this moment, Christ redeemed us. So in this moment, Jesus becomes our redeemer as he's taking all the sin upon himself. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. And so the first Adam, and Jesus is known as the second Adam, the first Adam brought a curse into this world, the curse of sin when he took a bite of that fruit. And so a curse came upon us. Jesus becomes the curse breaker. Because of Jesus taking all of sin, all of the curses. Now listen to me, curses are real, okay? I don't know if you know that, but there are real curses are real things that can go from generation to generation. Scripture so clearly tells us that this happens. But listen to me today, church. We have the power through Jesus because of the blood of Jesus that, that was shed on that cross over 2,000 years ago. We can use his name to break every curse in our lives. That's a good place to clap. Come on. So he became the curse, right? Cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Now, because of this, something happens to Jesus and the Father. The Father actually turns his back on his Son for the very first time because God and sin cannot commingle. And because Jesus became sin in this moment, the Father turns his back on Jesus. So this is Matthew's perspective of what happened uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross his last moments. Matthew says this, he says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land 
until three o'clock. And so what's amazing about this is scientists have actually pinpointed this exact day because there was a solar eclipse that happened for about three hours. Also, there was an earthquake that happened, okay? And so scientists can, can pinpoint the exact time, and they're like, well, this guy named Jesus was also dying at the same time, but there was a solar eclipse and an earthquake that happened at the same time. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Ela, Ela, Lema, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me in this moment? The father is turning his back on the son because he is becoming sin. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. Let's continue. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and we know what he shouted out because John was the only disciple that was standing there watching the whole thing happen when Jesus was giving up his spirit. And so we know that he, he yells out, it is finished in this moment. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, so what is happening in the temple in this moment? Why is this a monumental moment for all of history that the curtain is torn in two? You see, they had this curtain that would separate the priest from people. So essentially, you had to have a go-between between you and Father God. So you had to go to a priest. They were, they were under what was called the Old Covenant. And if you wanted your sins forgiven, you'd have to bring an animal sacrifice, and the priest would drain the blood of that animal, and it was that blood that would cover your sins up to that point. And then five minutes later, when you had a sinful thought, you were back under the power of sin. It was a temporary system. And by the tearing, the, the curtain being torn in the temple, it is signifying that that old covenant is over. We are now entering into a new covenant. There is no more go-between. You don't have to go to a priest any longer. You can go directly to the Father. Why? Because Jesus becomes the go-between between us and the Father. And that's why we can have a relationship with Father God, because Jesus covers our sin. Right? God can't commingle with sin, and Jesus covers our sin. So when God looks at us, he looks at us filtered through Jesus. Come on, someone say, praise God. Let's continue. The earth shook, rocks split apart, tombs were opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. They left the cemetery after Jesus Jesus' resurrection went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. Let's continue. We'll, we'll come back to this. The Roman, soldier, the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. Solar eclipse. You know, everything. They said, this man truly was the son of God. And if you were there, you would say the same thing. Okay, th think about these, Rome, these tough Roman soldiers standing there. They had watched hundreds, if not thousands of people crucified. Like, that's what they did. That's what the Romans did. They crucified people. But this time was different. This time, there was a solar eclipse. There was an earthquake. Supernatural things were happening. And they're like, okay, this guy was different. 
This guy was the son of God. Now, let's go back to this point where when Jesus resurrects, and and we're going to go talk about that, the resurrection story in a moment. When he resurrects, dead people resurrect with him. Okay, what, 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 what is he talking about here? Okay, well, Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. Let's look at it. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And so that's what he was doing. When when he gave up his spirit on the cross, okay, where did he go? He went to this place that Peter describes as prison. And and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. So where did Jesus go? Okay. They didn't go to hell. Hell is, was not for people at this, this point. Okay. It, they, they, the Greek word talks about a holding place or, or, or a cage. Uh, and Peter describes it as a, as a prison. Uh, some scholars will say that uh, Hades or Sheol uh, is where they would hold the people who uh, disobeyed towards God. Uh, they weren't in hell, but they were in a, a, holding, a holding place, uh, a prison, so to speak. Now, the godly people were also in a holding place called Abraham's bosom. It was similar to paradise, but it wasn't heaven yet because Jesus had not come, okay? And so what Jesus did, he went and he preached to these people that were in prison. That's why scripture says that Jesus has come to set the captives free. And in this moment, captives were set free, literally out of prison. And then in heaven, Jesus goes to heaven, right? And he basically opens up the door, Abraham's bosom, right? They're excited to see Jesus and they flood out through through the door. So much so that some of them follow him to the resurrection to earth. Okay, and they go into Jerusalem and they began to preach the gospel. I mean, can you imagine? You want to talk about repentance? You know, when you see Moses in front of your face, you Moses, how'd you get here? Right? Like, and and also, what it is is it it's a type and shadow of the second coming of Christ, right? That the dead would rise first, right? That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. The dead will rise first and meet him in the air. Okay, so this is what Matthew is showing us. This is what Jesus is showing us. He, he preached in this, this prison, this holding place, and to release the captives, right? And also in the Abraham bosom. And some of them were so excited, they followed Jesus to earth, okay? And, and so that is what happened in that moment, okay? So, all right, let's continue with our story here. Matthew 27, 62 through 66, okay? The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we, will, we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. Okay, so after three days, I will, he will rise from the dead. This was common knowledge. Okay, this wasn't just secret knowledge of Jesus' discipleship his disciples or or his close followers, like pretty much everybody knew that Jesus had made this prediction that he was going to die 
But not that he was just going to die, but he was going to defeat death, that he was going to come back three days later. Like this was common knowledge that a lot of people talked about. You know, like you're sitting around drinking some coffee and you're like, what do you think about this Jesus guy? He's saying that he's going to die and then come back three. What is your opinion on it? Like everybody had an opinion about this and everybody was wondering to the point where they're like, man, we need to seal this tomb. Okay, we need to seal this tomb. And what they're talking about sealing, they sealed it with the Roman seal. Okay, they, they sealed this 2,000 2, to 4,000 pound stone, okay, with the Roman seal. And so if that seal was broken, they would execute the Roman soldiers that were standing guard over this tomb. Okay, let's continue. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Come on, that's, that's some truth right there, right? Yeah, you'll be really worse off, right? Because they were afraid that everybody would just follow Jesus and, and flee, you know, from Judaism and, and their traditions, right? We'll be worse off than first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Okay, so let's talk about these guards, okay? These guards were not Paul Blart, okay? They, these weren't a bunch of mall cops with whistles, okay? You know what I mean? Like, these were elite Roman killers, okay? The elite of the elite who had motivation to not let anybody come into this tomb. Okay, so if you can imagine, the disciples are just common blue-collar workers, okay? And you think they're going to go and attack these, these lethal, you know, Roman soldiers, karate chop, wow, you know what I mean? Like, they're, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be difficult, right, to, to overthrow these, these elite Roman soldiers who were motivated if that seal was broken, they would be executed. Okay, let's continue. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, come on, we are in a new day of victory. Come on, in this moment, a new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Jesus actually talks about earthquakes. He, he says it's, it's a sign of the birthing pains of our earth is going through, and it's a sign the return of Jesus. Okay, so we, we get two earthquakes in three days. There was an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. Let's continue. The guards shook with fear, when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. So they, they saw this probably 10-foot giant angel, his face looking like lightning, and they were just like, well, they just fell over, okay? I know, don't be afraid. Okay, the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. Here's something interesting, the women didn't faint. And the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He 
isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would, ha- would happen. Come, see where his body was laying. And so they, they go into the tomb. They see the tomb is empty. They run out. Let's continue with the story. And now go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. Let's continue. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus popped up in houses, and, and uh, he, he popped up several times uh, to them. He actually ate breakfast with them over the next 40 days. And then there's some 500 people that are watching Jesus ascend into heaven. So, when it comes to the resurrection, there's no middle ground to this story, right? There's no, either, either you believe that this happened or you don't. There, there, there's no, well, maybe it happened, I don't know, maybe sometimes. I and, and, and here's the deal, and, and here's the deal with being in, in the middle of the road of not knowing if this, this event actually happened or not. And it's because we live in a country that was founded on worshiping God freely. There was some people who said, we want to worship the risen Christ freely without the government getting involved. And so we're willing to sacrifice our life to find this place so we can worship our God freely. And because of that, God blessed this country. And I don't care what your social studies teacher tells you, that's the true story. You can tell your history teacher that your pastor Andrew told you. And because of that, we're, we're a blessed nation. God continues to bless this nation. And because we are a Christian and blessed nation, there's people that are lukewarm. That, that, that they don't take a side or, or, I don't know, I don't know if that's really that important. Let me, let me tell you, in other countries, you're not allowed to be lukewarm. There's no middle ground on the resurrection. In Iran, if you profess Christianity, they kill you in front of your children. In India, if you profess Christianity, you lose everything. And I'm talking about everything. Job, money, family, home. And so you better be sure that this is real. In China, if you get caught professing Christianity, they put you in prison. And most likely, they'll execute you. Okay, so there's no middle ground. When Jesus is talking about the, the churches in Revelation, and he's talking about a lukewarm people, he's talking about the American Christian today. We don't have the persecution of these other places, but I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming soon. And, and actually, the Apostle Paul had to deal with this. 
Because this is what Satan saw in this moment. He saw he was in big trouble too. And so what he needed to do is he needed to start planting lies into the hearts and the minds of people around this resurrection, that it was just a ruse, that it was just a lie. And so immediately he began to plant lies in people's hearts and minds. And the Apostle Paul actually addresses this in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. He says this, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? So there was even people during his time that were struggling with the resurrection of the dead. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Let's continue. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sin. So if Christ didn't defeat death, we're still guilty in our sin. And if that is the case, then we are all hopeless. Let's continue. In that case, all who have died believed in Christ are lost. Lost where? I don't know. Lost in space. Lost wherever? I don't know. Lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world because we're wasting a lot of time. But there is a reason why that this day, this Sunday, churches are filled all across the world. And it's because there's something that has drawn you into the house of God. No matter what you believe today, there, there's this magnetism that is drawing you to the house of God on this day. Why? But in fact, because of this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, and anybody who has actually done major research in this fact of Jesus resurrecting has come to the same conclusion that Jesus rose again. He resurrected and he defeated death. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. So again, there's no middle ground when it comes to the resurrection. Either you believe it or you don't. Like this, this is a monumental moment. If this didn't happen, then, then our faith is useless. We're all just wasting our time if this moment in history did not happen. And so there's no middle ground on this. Either you believe it or you don't. And so let me explain what happened in this moment, okay? When Jesus rose again, and, and he ascended into heaven. He left us with something that he says that he's even better than himself. And he left us with the Holy Spirit. And what has happened here, this is the new dawn of victory, church. We've gone from Tashua, which is the Greek word for victory. Tashua is coming. Tashua is here. Tashua is in you. 
Romans 8.11 explains it. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. You see, you got the Father, you got the Son Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, He is a person. He's not an entity. He's not the wind. Okay, listen. He's got a bad last name. Okay, you know, it's hard to wrap your arms, but He is a person. Okay, and He is the person that is active. He is the God that is active in our life. And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave now lives in you and me. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Tashua is in you. Victory is in you. This is a new era. Church, this is a new dawn of victory. Never before could Tashua victory be in us. But now, today, we're living in an age where the Holy Spirit lives in us. It gives us real power to overcome the enemy. And we have a couple enemies. The first enemy is our flesh. Okay, our flesh is an enemy. Why? Because our flesh likes to sin. Our flesh likes to feel good. And so we're constantly fighting our flesh. And our second enemy is the devil. He's got schemes and and plans for our lives. Romans 12, 2 tells us this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What is the Apostle Paul talking about here? Copying the behavior and customs of this world. It's acting like the world, believing like the world, talking like the world. Listen, I, was, I did drugs for seven years. I drank heavily. I, I, I was fully, I was a fornicator. I, I was an adulterer. I was all of those things. Okay, parting my brains out for seven years. I was into the world. And let me tell you, church, sin is sweet. That's the point of sin. It's fun. But sin always leads to death. Death of what? Death of everything. You see, the behavior and the customs of this world, they do not lead to victory. And what what God is asking from us and what Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later to give us the Holy Spirit, he's asking for transformation in us. Go back to that passage really quick. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Do you still think like the world? And let me tell you, you think the world is crazy now, it's going to get crazier. This book is going to constantly be under pressure, constantly be attacked. And you're already hearing 
People say, oh, this book is irrelevant. It was written some 2,000 years ago. How could it be relevant today? It's relevant today because the word became flesh. Church, this book is Jesus. You can't separate the two. John says the word became flesh. And so the world is going to get crazier and crazier. I mean, look at uh, the world that we live in today. Like, like, people don't know their identity. And, and man, drug addicts, people are dying from drug overdoses at alarming rates. People are killing themselves at alarming rates. People are struggling with their, their identity. They, they don't even know what sex they are. I mean, church, we are in chaos. Man, the spirit of confusion is all over the place. And God needs some people to stand firm on his holy book and say, I don't care what the rest of the world is thinking or the customs or the behavior of this world or, or what's happening. I know that God wrote this book for me, that this book is Jesus. And that is my plumb line. It is my lens in life. He wrote this book not to restrict us from things, but to protect us. Church, the behaviors and the customs of this world do not lead to victory. You know what they lead to? Depression. More stress. Anxiety. Self-medication. Struggle, continue struggles in your marriage. That's, that's what thinking like the world is. And listen to me. Some of you might have said, the, said a prayer a long time ago. Maybe some of you never said a prayer. Maybe some of you said a prayer a long time ago. But you still think the same. You, you still act the same. You still talk the same. And I would challenge you this morning that you didn't experience the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. Because my Bible says there's a transformation that happens of your mind and your body and your soul. Listen to me, church. When I came to God on my knees, I was a broken person. I was drugged out. I had nothing to give God but my life. And he looked at me and he said, son, it's enough. I just want your life. And I experienced his love and his grace like never before. Man, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve his mercy. None of us do. That was the point of Jesus going to the cross. If you could be your own God, then we should crucify you on the cross. And that's the customs of this world. No, no, no. Believe your own truth. Everybody has his own truth. Essentially, there's no truth. If you have that type of mindset, listen to me, church. There's one truth. And his name is Jesus. I want to end with this this morning, okay? There's another word that sounds very similar to Tashua. And that is a Hebrew word, Yahshua. And it's another name for Jesus. But the only people that would use that name Yahshua were people that were intimate in an intimate relationship with Jesus. 
Because when you use the word Yahshua, you're saying that, that Jesus is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. He is my Deliverer. It is an intimate word when we say Yahshua is my God. And that is my prayer for you this morning, church. And you're watching online today that you would make Yahshua my God. And it's essentially going from a believer thinking that Jesus is cool, that God is cool, that Jesus is your homeboy. Let me tell you, believing in God isn't enough. Believing in Jesus isn't enough. The demons believe in Jesus. But it's that transition going from a believer to a follower making that declaration that Yahshua is my God. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. First things first today. Maybe you'd say this morning, Pastor, I've never said yes to Jesus and I need to this morning. Let me tell you right now, this is the most important moment of your life. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell where people go for all eternity. And I want you to go to heaven. I want you to experience everything that God has in store for you, not just here on earth, but in eternity. Your eternity is at stake right now in this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to make maybe a first-time declaration or a rededication to faith this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, this is a personal declaration of faith between you and God, okay? I'm just going to ask you to slip up a hand. Sometimes, man, when we put faith into action, man, God does something amazing. Come on, just slip up your hand all over this place. Come on, just slip it up, put it up, and put it down. Yep, come on, put it up, put it down. This is your eternal. Yes, put it up. This is between you and God. This is your.